Well, I begin with a question this morning for you. If God is sovereign in all things, and we know he is, then the question that I would pose is, then why evangelize? Why preach the gospel? Why rebuke even another who is living in sin? And maybe this question, does a strong belief in God's sovereignty undermine man's salvation and even undermine man's responsibility to evangelize those who are lost? You know, it's amazing in John chapter 3 on the new birth with the discussion with Jesus and Nicodemus that Jesus went on to say that God's sovereign. It's like the wind that blows. It blows where it will and you don't know where it comes from. You can't see it. And so it is with the Spirit of God breathing life into a person who is spiritually dead. And yet Jesus clearly tells Nicodemus that he is responsible for his unbelief. He said in John 3.11, you do not believe or you do not receive our testimony. In 3.12 of John, he said, you do not believe. So it's amazing, and this is throughout Scripture, that in one passage, at least in John 3, and in one gospel, you have both the sovereign regeneration of the new birth in which man is passive and God redeems him, but also a strong command to believe the gospel, to believe the testimony from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ side by side. I mean, the Bible's clear that man is responsible to respond to the gospel. God is indeed sovereign, and man is responsible. Man is responsible to the way he listens to the gospel. He is responsible for his or her disobedience to the gospel. I mean, there is no evading this. The gospel puts forth all through the scripture uh, all, it, to all life that says it, it, it matters what you do with the person of Christ. It is without equivocation the greatest choice that man will ever face is the hearing of the gospel and the response to it. J.C. Ryle said this, everywhere in scripture, it is the leading principle that man can lose his own soul, that if he is lost at last, it will be his own fault and his blood will be on his own head. It's quite a statement, quite a statement for a reformed church and a reformed writer, but it's his fault and his blood will be on his own head. The same inspired Bible which Ryle said, which reveals the doctrine of election, is the Bible that contains the words, why will you die, O house of Israel? You will not come to me that you might have life. There was a refusal to come to him. John even said that the condemnation is that the light has come into the world and men love the, what? The darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, John 3, 19. As you open your Bible this morning, we're going to see the reality of this in Daniel chapter 5. 
turn there to Daniel chapter 5. And we're in that wonderful chapter that we can call the handwriting on the wall, I suppose, in the entirety of the chapter. And we're looking at that fifth compelling point, the sovereign demise of Babylon and here, Belshazzar. It's all contained in chapter 5. And we've been moving just for, I suppose, one week through a sequence of five events that led to the Babylonian demise, the sudden demise. They will go out of existence at least this night, at this place, in this chapter, powerful, strong Babylon will be conquered, okay? We began in 5, 1 through 4, the feast of the king. You remember that? King Belshazzar made a great feast in 5, 1 for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, when he was under the influence of it, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and the lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. There's the feast of the king. Seventy years prior to this very night, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Jerusalem. And in that conquering over that threefold deportation, one of the things he did, you remember, is he took the vessels. He took all the cups and the basins and the goblets and he took them because it was a symbol of his power over Israel's God and he brought them back. That's 70 years ago. Well, here on the night of this feast, 70 years later, as they've been stored away, Belshazzar in a in a strike really of an uh, arrogance, took them out while they're feasting. And in the middle of that, secondly there, the scene is the finger of God. We touched on that immediately after, he, after they drank. In verse 4, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace opposite of the lampstand and the king saw the hand as it rode and the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs give way, his knees knock together. There is the fear of the king. He, God crashed their party. Imagine, I mean, we sit 1,100 people uh, seats in here. Imagine if behind me, by the wall there, a hand appeared and began writing on that wall. And so he went from a place where he was probably inebriated under the influence of alcohol. And one said that he got sober real quick. He sees this hand writing on the wall. And it led to the fear of the king. And then finally they, they brought all the people in and nobody can interpret the writing. All of his enchanters and all of the, the wise men in his place, the magicians, couldn't tell what it was. And so the queen enters in, and we think that's Belshazzar's mother. She is the daughter of the grand, she's the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. But the queen mother comes in and says, There is a man in verse 10 
in your kingdom and begins to recite what we looked at is the spirit of the holy gods. And so they brought in Daniel in verse 13. They brought him in and Belshazzar said, listen, if you can interpret this dream, I will give you a great reward. It says in verse 16, you'll be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. But he needs to make known the interpretation. So I bring you here to the, to the fourth item, the fourth scene, and we'll pick it up right there. It's called the, I'll just call it the faithfulness of Daniel. The faithfulness of Daniel. Look at it with me in verse 17. We'll begin there. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, verse 17, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him its interpretation. But he, he, first, there's a few marks here under Daniel's faithfulness, three, three key aspects. The first was, in verse 17, he rejected the king's reward. He rejected the king's reward. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. I love that. I mean, he could not be bought. He could not be bribed. I mentioned last week, he's in his 80s by this point. So he's no longer a teenager. They somehow call him out of retirement because Belshazzar seems to not even know who he was. But he says, if you do this for me, I'll clothe you in purple and gold and make you third in the kingdom. But here, he's so faithful he says, I don't want your stuff. He could not be bought. He could not be bribed. Belshazzar, keep your money. And I think this is consistent, and I'll be brief here. But the man of God in 1 Timothy 3 is not greedy for gain. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 says, for the love of money, you know this, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pains. All throughout scripture you see this. Paul said in the book of Acts in 2033, he said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He says, I don't want your gift. I'm going to be faithful to my God. And I think Belshazzar in the political realm was quid pro quo. They use that in politics. You give me something and I'll give you something. But Daniel here wasn't playing politics. He could not be bought. He's not for sale, nor is his faithfulness. So here's a man of God that had stayed the test of time, was faithful all the way into his 80s, and he rejected the king's reward, number one, under his faithfulness. Secondly, he rebuked the king's pride. He rebuked the king's pride. Pick it up in verse 18. O king, 
the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, in verse 19. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, it says, that he humbled But look on, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from this kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven, verse 21, from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew, here's the key phrase, that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. What a statement. He begins, does he not, to rehearse the history of his grandfather's life. He begins to rehearse his pride. He says in all of it, God gave it to him. God gave you this power. God gave you this majesty. God gave Nebuchadnezzar this wisdom, but his heart became proud. So he put him in the grass and the lawn for seven years until he would know that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So he rehearses the history of his grandfather's life. Someone has said that those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. Completely forgot. I mean, I hope there's no one of you forgetting. Some of you have become from tremendous families, from tremendous grandparents and great-grandparents. But here, what, what Daniel does is he rebukes them because he should have known this. He should have walked in the ways of his grandfather. And this is Belshazzar. Look at verse 22. I'll read verse 22 and 23 with you. If you could watch for this word, you, yourself, and your. It's mentioned 14 times. In other words, he's putting the spotlight on Belshazzar. He doesn't say, listen, God's sovereign. You're just not one of the elect. No, he goes after him. He rebukes the king's pride. Look at it in verse 22. He says, and when you, I'll emphasize him, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of the house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and, who, and in whose are all your ways. You, he says, have not honored. It's amazing, isn't it? The Bible's not silent there. The Bible doesn't give Belshazzar 
a pass. In fact, far from it. The greater the knowledge, the greater the privilege. The greater the insight, the greater the responsibility. He goes after Belshazzar. So at least if you're following this in Daniel's faithfulness, he rejected, number one, the king's reward. Secondly, he rebuked the king's pride. And then thirdly, in his faithfulness, he revealed the king's mystery. He revealed the king's mystery. Look at verses 24 and 25. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, verse 25. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Four words. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Now this is what was up on the wall written in Aramaic, and we're not quite sure as to why those enchanters and magicians couldn't either read it or know it and hear interpret it. And it's likely that there was some way that the letters were categorized, and maybe if they could see it, if they could, then they didn't know how to interpret it. And so Daniel is going to interpret it. Look at verse 26. Would you look there? This is the interpretation of the matter, and then he begins to interpret. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Can you imagine in the feast of a thousand lords and a thousand nobles, Mene, God's numbered your days. Numbered two times. Numbered are your days and your kingdom is brought to an end. In other words, what was written on the wall, interpreted by Daniel, is your reign is over, Belshazzar. Your number is up. Mene, mene. God's going to bring it about swiftly and quickly. Look at verse 27. Tekel, and the Bible interprets it for us. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. So not only is your reign up, but Tekel... You've been put in a balance. Uh, merchants in this matter and time would weigh things by putting a standard of weight in a balance on one side and then the scale and the commodity being weighed on the other side. In other words, this is God's standard. He has weighed you, Belshazzar, and you have been found lacking in morality. You have been found lacking with the truth that was given to you. And then he gives a third word. Look at it in verse 28. He says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, is the thought. In other words, he says that word there, Perez, and the other word in verse 25 it was parson. Here, that, that's the word Perez, and this is just the word parson. It's the plural of verse 25. Here's what he tells Belshazzar. Imagine that feast. Imagine the wine flowing freely. Out comes this handwriting by the fingers that goes on the wall. Belshazzar, your kingdom has been numbered, many. You have been weighed Tekel, you have been divided and found wanting, and you are being given over to the Medes and the Persians. So he revealed the mystery. You say, what did Belshazzar do? Look at verse 29. Then, 
At that point, Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and, his, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. You say, well, in other places he rejected the reward. How come he let it put it on? Because Belshazzar gave orders for Daniel to be given this gift, but I think Daniel knew it was short-lived. I think he knew what was about to come. Look at verse 30 very clearly. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. I'll tell you more about that. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years of age. And so, beloved, just that quick, Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 is fulfilled. Belshazzar that night was slain, and the head of gold, just as it said in chapter 2, was replaced by the arms and chest of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire. The night on which it happened, we know it exactly, precisely, because of the annals of history, was on October 12th. 539 BC. So here is the theme. We've been looking at it all the way through is that God is sovereign and he rules over mankind. He rules over even the wickedest and most powerful kingdom of the day. But at the same time, Belshazzar was weighed and he was found wanting. It's frightening. And I'm asking the question, and I'm into my application for you, okay? There's the history, okay? And I'll come back to how it came to be that they were taken that very night without a shot given. How does God weigh us? Belshazzar was weighed and found lacking, wanting. Well, at least in the scripture, I could say this. Number one, he weighs our actions. Job 31, 6, let me... Let me, let me be weighed in a just balance. And then he says, and let God know my integrity. Certainly, if he weighed Belshazzar, Scripture tells us that he's weighing our actions. He's weighing our character, if you will. But secondly, he weighs our motives. He would know the motives as to why we do what we do. It says in Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. He knows the motive. He, so he's in the process, if you will, of scrutinizing. He's in the process of weighing. He may be doing that even as I speak. And thirdly, I would say, he weighs the heart. He weighs the heart. Every man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord, is, but the Lord weighs the heart. And so as he applied that, if you will, to Belshazzar, he's found wanting. Now what Daniel does, at least in that rebuke, is he brings a lawsuit, if you will, against Belshazzar. And Daniel is representing Almighty God, and Belshazzar has breached God, has breached the Word of God, 
in three distinct ways. And I think this absolutely applies to us. You say, well, how did he, how did he just treat God with mockery? How did he just with bold arrogance? What, what, what did he actually do? Well, number one, number one, he sinned knowingly. He sinned knowingly. Look at verse 22. And you, his son, which was really his grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. What does he say? Though you knew all this. You knew all this. You saw this. You knew this. In other words, I'm just drawing out the principle here that you cannot plead ignorance. You say, how so? Well, evidence indicates that he knew his grandfather's insanity firsthand. We believe that Belshazzar, at least by the dates, served as chief officer during the reign of a man by the name of King Neri Glissar in 560 BC. And according to Babylonian historical text, Belshazzar was old enough to fill a high position in the government only two years after Nebuchadnezzar's death. And since Nabonidus was an official in Nebuchadnezzar's administration, Belshazzar would have lived in Babylon and would have at least personally observed the last year of the king's reign. And yet here, he refused to humble himself before God. Belshazzar did what he did, not in spite of what he knew, but because of what he knew, he purposely desecrated the vessels to demonstrate that he was not intimidated by Israel's God. He absolutely spit in the face of God. And who knows, you know, remember I told you last week that the Persians were making their way into the city of Babylon that very night and he might have known that. And maybe he was just throwing this party to exercise his freedom. But he spit in the face of God. And so listen, beloved. Guilt comes in proportion to the knowledge given you. And God will judge us by what we know. And Belshazzar sinned against knowledge. He sinned knowingly. Here Daniel says, you knew all this. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. Don't ever just think God's so sovereign that he doesn't ask and weigh people. He is weighing you by your actions and by your motives and by your heart unless, if, of course, you're in Christ. To whom much is given, much is required. Second Peter 2 says it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. So listen, at least we draw this out, that he sinned knowingly. In fact, if you will, turn in your Bible to Romans. Romans chapter 1. Here Paul will say, in essence, the same thing there. Okay? You remember in Romans chapter 1, he's going to show how the whole world 
is under the wrath of God because the glorious gospel is so good in 14 through 17. But he says in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what do they do? They suppress the truth. Fascinating. It's not that they don't know the truth. They're suppressing the truth. The ideal is they're pushing the truth down. Truth is coming up. But man is under condemnation because one is found suppressing the truth. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is interesting. Plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. It's somewhat shocking. You mean men are accountable before God? Yes, 8 billion people. Truth is being rendered, okay, in verse 18, but they're pushing it down. God has made it, verse 19, plain to them. He's shown it to them. How has he done that? Look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, verse 20 at the end, so that they are, what? Without excuse. You, this morning, are accountable to God. You may be in fifth grade or sixth grade or in student ministries or in college at 1824 or an adult, but here this is clear, it has been shown to them that they are without excuse. How so? Look at verse 21. For although they knew, what? God. They know him. Verse 21, they did not honor him. The ideal of glorify him. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look down in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to what? Acknowledge God. He's borne witness in chapter 2 in their conscience. He's revealed himself in creation. But they didn't want to acknowledge God in verse 28. And so God gave them up. Paradidomai. He gave them over to a debased mind to do what they ought what ought not to be done, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. I mean, it's in our own day. Slanders, verse 30, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now this... Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, this last phrase, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. I mean, that is our world. And here Daniel, in his faithfulness, says Belshazzar, verse 22, you have not humbled your heart Though you knew all of this. And so here's strike one. Belshazzar, you have sinned knowingly. Secondly, though, here's how he sinned. He sinned arrogantly. 
he sinned arrogantly. Look back in Daniel chapter 5. He sinned arrogantly. He says in verse 23 of Daniel 5, you have lifted up yourself, that's the height of arrogance, is it not? Against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of the house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk from them, and you've praised the gods of silver and gold. But he says, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. This is so prideful as Belshazzar. You say, well, he's, he's not really accountable. No, I'm saying he's perfectly accountable. You, Belshazzar, have raised your own life against the Lord of heaven. He dishonored holy God. He spurned God. He mocked God. He rejected and I'm pausing, I'm hoping none of you are doing this, but he rejected every grace that was given to him. He rejected the testimony of his grandfather. Are you? I mean, one of the things that just I love about this place, Kingsburg, Reedley, the San Joaquin Valley, the whole thing, right, is the sense of heritage and it could be that you're in junior high and you have a, a tremendous history of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that have walked with the Lord. But this guy, Belshazzar, rejected every grace God had gave, given to him. He rejected the testimony of his grandfather. He spurned and mocked God in every action. In every secret sin, in every open sin, sin against his conscience, sins of willful disobedience. And he was not only knowing of his sin, but arrogant of his sin. Listen, let me say to you, God's judgment may take years in coming. But rest assured, everyone will be weighed in the balance. And you're either found in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to be found wanting. But make, make it clear, though, that every deed, every rejection, if you will, of him, every failure to repent is what Belshazzar did. He sinned knowingly. Secondly, he sinned arrogantly. And here, you are answerable to God, I don't have the time, but five times just in 18 through 23, God is referenced as most high. God is referenced as the Lord of heaven. God is referenced as the one who holds your life breath in his hand. He says to Belshazzar, you knew all this. To whom much is given, much is what? Required. And here he should have known all of this. Listen, beloved, pride and arrogance is a killer. It's a far greater killer than heart disease. It's a far greater killer than COVID. It's a far greater killer than high blood pressure. It is the sin of pride. You have to have it my way. And people are perishing by the thousands on their way to hell because they're shaking their fist in the hand of God. And Belshazzar had warning after warning, example after example, and yet he, he mocked all of it. Paul said in Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. God's not going to be mocked though. So he sinned knowingly. He sinned arrogantly. Thirdly, he sinned idolatrously. Okay, Verse 23 at the end. You have, it says, praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood, stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and in whose are all your ways you have not honored. I mean, he praised the pantheon of lifeless, faceless, nameless Gods, but the living God who held, it says in the scripture, his life and breath, he rejected and blasphemed. It's just shocking. This is what the world does without Christ. He says, You've not honored him. In the book of Acts, it says in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed everything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. If there's 8 billion people on the earth, that's what the United Nations says then he's given 8 billion people life and breath. If you're in here this morning and you are, you're hearing my voice, he's given you your very breath. He's given you your very life, if you will. What a statement. What a statement. It says in Job 12, 10, that in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. What a statement. Don't reduce God to your own image. He's the one who's given every living thing breath, and he gave it to all of mankind. Belshazzar sinned by not glorifying God, who gave him this very breath, and maybe this is you this morning. If you're a believer, then you realize your every every breath is his then you begin to realize if he gave me this life, if he gave me this breath, then it ought to be your goal, it ought to be my personal goal that you would honor him, that you would glorify him. You're here because he put life in you. You're here because he put breath to you. And you're here made in the image of God that you would resound back with his glory. But here Daniel says, Belshazzar, you have not honored him which is another way to say that you have not glorified him. One writer said that we're all functional Belshazzars. Our excessively strong emotions show when we, this writer said, have invested in these things, our jobs, our health, our relationships, our comfort, our status, our achievements with divine importance, even while at the same time we confess with our lips, Jesus Christ is our Lord, end of quote. So he says, listen, your very breath is from him. You were made to honor him. That would be my prayer for you, that you would bow your knee, bow your hand, bow your heart to the submission of Jesus Christ. But understand this, this guy's not off the hook. 
He sinned knowingly. He sinned arrogantly. He sinned idolatrously. So sad. But, but look back in chapter 5. It's there at the end of verse 23. And whose are all your, what, ways? Job 31.4 says, does not he see all my ways and number all my steps? Listen, he not only has given you life and breath, he's so sovereign in his majesty and power and honor and glory. He sees all of your ways. And if you can fathom the mind of God, he sees eight billion people and all their ways as well. He sees all my ways, Job says. He numbers all my steps. Psalm 139, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And then look at the end of verse 23. He says, you have not honored. Listen, the Lord says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. This is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This man's proud heart failed to glorify God. You say, well, I, 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 I think I'm okay. You say, what does this mean? Just fail to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself, and you'll fail to glorify him, and you will face eternal condemnation. It doesn't take a great sinner to go into hell all it takes is a failure to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ and to give glory and honor to him. You reflect it back to yourself and that person faces divine destruction. Listen, Belshazzar was blinded, at least in his heart, to the fact that all his ways were before an all-seeing and all-knowing God. He sinned knowingly. He sinned arrogantly. He sinned idolatrously by praising these other things with his life. You say, well, we're not using holy vessels today. We're not drinking, but I guess I could make this analogy. Your bodies are a holy temple unto the Lord here, Paul said in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then you remember, he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? You have been, you have this from God. You are not your own for you have been bought with a price so glorify God in your body. You may not be drinking from a vessel, but you're in a vessel and it's called your body. And here he says you need to abstain from sexual immorality. Paul is so clear. Listen, this is the command that comes to us. Paul said to the Thessalonica church in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That would be any relationship apart from a husband and wife. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Listen, the way we treat this body, this vessel, will tell us everything if we're giving glory and honor to God. Paul told the church at Rome in 12.1, you know it, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Listen, when our God weighs you, or when our God will weigh me, what does he find? I would say this to you, what the writer of Hebrews said in 1031, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. A record is kept of every invitation to come to Christ, which is breast aside. There is a record of every failure to take seriously his command to repent. Have you repented? Maybe I'm after some of you this morning. I don't know why in particular. Nobody told me, hey, so-and-so's coming. You need to say this, okay? But I'm saying you are playing Russian roulette with a gun, spinning the chambers, putting a bullet in, and you're wondering, is it time? And you're running from him. And I'm saying you'd be far better to repent and to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ who's died in your place and died for your sin, gives you his commandments and his statutes just like we heard this morning, for your good. In fact, you know what it is? If you're still here, you're still hearing this. I would say Romans 2, 4. Do not presume on the riches of his kindness. It's what he is if you're hearing my voice today. It's his kindness, it's his forbearance, it's his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But remember what Paul said, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Ryle said that the last judgment will prove that it is not the want of God's election so much as laziness and love of sin, unbelief, he said, and unwillingness to come to Christ, which ruins the souls that are lost. Listen, God may be speaking to you directly this morning, and I don't want you to put him off any longer. Paul said, I... I beg, he said, I could wish myself accursed for the sake of my brethren that they would know Christ. Listen, this is a unique day in which we live. Listen to Proverbs, we'll close with this. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? This is the idea of foolish, Proverbs 122. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? And here's the hope. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you because I have called, he says though, and you refuse to listen. Have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. He says, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord when would have none of my counsel. And I 
despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and have their fill of their own desires. For the simple, the foolish, are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. And here's the hope. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease and without dread of disaster. That's Daniel 5. Do you know him this morning? All I know is we've seen in the last few weeks two kings who were once both arrogant and proud. Then one repented and was saved at the end of chapter 4. The other failed to heed the warnings and suffers in hell. What decision will you make? The gospel brings every man to a crossroads and I offer you the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ who died in your place, sent from heaven above, who came down sinless but became sin for you. He took on the guilt of it, if you will, took on the punishment of that sin on your account so that you can be reconciled to a holy God. That's my prayer for you this morning. If you'd like somebody to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be available afterward. Would you bow your head with me?